Um, so just mindful of entering into what is really a, a heartbreaking topic, um, I thought this evening it would be really helpful just to equip us how to, uh, how to engage with, how to counsel other people. Uh, we might be going through this ourselves, but for many people, uh, this is to, to counsel others as we think of ministering to them. And so if, if you are going through uh, a really difficult relationship at the moment, please do reach out to myself or Neil or Sarb or Liz, uh, one of the women's workers, the women's worker here. Um, just know that you are not alone, that you have help. Uh, we would love to be able to help you through. And uh, this evening uh, in the seminar as we uh, start, we'd really like to just spark some discussion and mindful of the sensitivity of it at the same time. We want to really be able to think through uh, this big topic of divorce. So uh, looking at it, maybe we'll spend around, say, 10 minutes, uh, maybe 12, but 10 minutes, I think, is what we'll aim for, in groups of maybe two, three, maximum four, um, discussing these three things. Just to kick us off, when would you counsel someone not to divorce? When might you counsel someone to consider divorce? And lastly, what would you say to someone that's divorcing and thinking of remarrying? So those three questions. You've got ten minutes in a group of two, three, or four, um, probably no bigger than four, um, just to think through those three questions to uh, kick us off. So um, have, a, <laughs> have a look at those, um, and I'll give you ten minutes and set a timer. Great, if you'd like to come back together. Not easy, is it? Not easy. Um, it's just the start of thinking it through. Um, so um, uh, having, <clears throat> having had a, dis- a discussion on these, those three, three questions, um, let me just uh, kind of give a, firstly give an overview, and then we'll go into some more specifics. Um, so in our time together and the topic of divorce as we, as we study it, I propose to look at it just from uh, three or four perspectives. And so we'll look at, firstly, how the world has changed, which clearly impacts and influences how we view divorce and marriage as well. Secondly, thinking about it biblically. It's great to see many of you just opening your Bibles and being able to study it. And what does this text say? What does that text say? Thirdly, how to respond, how to respond ourselves, but then also how to counsel others. And lastly, we'll spend some time looking through some of those case studies, which will bring up some questions and answers. Um, So firstly, really thinking about, firstly, how the world has changed. The world's understanding of marriage and life in general has shifted greatly in the past generation or so. If you were to ask my uh, grandfather's in Ayrshire, what do you think the will of God is for your life? They would probably look at you blankly to say, what do you mean? What is the will of God for my life? The will of God is that I work, I get married, I have children, and I serve in my community. There is no other option. And now the question is, well, what makes me happy? The world is really encouraging us to, to live for today and forget about tomorrow. And if anyone or anything is a drain on you and makes you unhappy, cut them off. Because you deserve to be happy. If you watch 
any TV show, any movie, anything on social media, or the articles on this, you'll see that message repeated again and again and again. The message that you deserve more. It's really the water that we swim in and the air that we breathe. And as Christians, we have to fight against it. We have to fight it against that selfish mentality. And when it comes to marriage, there are shows which uh, are on TV and online now which really encapsulate the thought of, of marriage and really the lack of seriousness towards marriage. There's a show called Married at First Sight. It's a reality show where people meet, they, they chat for a little bit behind a screen uh, for a few weeks, and then they come to the altar. And when they come to the altar with all their friends and family present there, that's where they say yes or no. It makes a total sham of marriage. And everyone starts to embrace it. It makes a mockery of what is a serious and weighty thing. Because at the heart of it, if people don't know really what marriage is, they don't know what love is either. They think it's a, is it a feeling? Is it a sensation? Is it a sense of um, shared interests or kindred spirits that we share things together in life and therefore in that sense that we love each other? Is that what love is? If people don't understand what, what love is, then how, how do they know possibly what marriage is? In talking to, I remember talking to three people, uh, all non-believers, the night before their wedding day, and saying to them, what difference do you think it will make to get married? And each one of them says, it won't make any difference at all. Because the vast majority of people in the UK don't really know what marriage is. And if you don't know what it is, then how will it make any difference in your life? And therefore, if you don't know what marriage is, then the definition of marriage starts to change because the majority of people don't actually know what marriage is to begin with. That it's exclusively one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. And the other element to understanding the rate of marriages and the rate of divorces is to see how things have changed over time. And there's a a really good study that's been done on the marriage and divorce rate since the 1900s, all the way up to 2010. I don't know if you can see this graph behind me. I'll I'll step out of the way so you can see it. But uh, with the various laws that have been passed over time, marriages and divorces in turn have really changed dramatically. Since the 1970s, you see some of these acts have significantly changed things. Uh, The number of people getting married, as you see there, since the 70s has continued to fall. And yet the number of divorces has kind of gone up a little bit more. And so percentage-wise, there's far more divorces uh, than marriages. Uh, the The percentage of divorces is rising dramatically. One thing which is not on the graph is a change in the law which happened this year, in, on April 6th this year, called the No-Fault Divorce Law. And today, uh, couples need not give any reason at all to divorce. Um, it remains, it re- removes the element of blame towards the other person. And previously there was a time of reconciliation of a, of a minimum of two years, but that has changed to six months. And this process can be done online. It can be done significantly without the permission of the other person. 
without the agreement of the other person. And so the, what the law has tried to do is try to help people who are in probably awful and abusive marriages um, as the other partner doesn't want to, to, to get divorced. But what it has done is inadvertently open the floodgates to quick divorces. And so it's far easier now than it ever has been to divorce. And so that's the broad and sad picture of the world at the moment in relation to, to marriage and to divorce. But the question that we, we have is, well, what, is, what does God say as we think about it biblically? <clears throat> and so we, as we want to uh, think about this, I'm going to firstly take a, a quick overview of Scripture, and then we'll come back and drill down into two or three specific texts. So again, please do feel free to take notes as you go. <clears throat> And so we'll look through uh, six phases in the biblical story. And that is creation, fall, the, the journey of Israel, the history of Israel, Christ, the church, and then new creation. Just skim over these and then we'll go into some more detail uh, with some texts. So in creation, in Genesis 2.24, God says, A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Um, And and he goes on to say they felt naked. They were naked and felt no shame because ultimately they lived under God's blessing, because they lived in the covenant of marriage, which God blessed. But, as we know, in Genesis 3, in the fall, the Lord um, pursues Adam even though he rebels against him. And then the blame game starts. Adam blames the woman, um, and then he blames God for having put the woman in the garden with him. And then the woman blames Satan. And so in other words, the idea of blame is continually shifted. It's not my fault. As a result, there's separation. There's separation between man and woman and between humanity and God. And both men and women are cast out of the presence of God. Then there's the uh, the story of Israel. There's a few verses in this. There's Exodus 21, uh, where divorce is spoken about to protect wives from injustice and further abuse. Then in Leviticus 21:14, there was a special requirement for priests relating to the ceremonial law, and so ceremonial law doesn't apply to us today. So it has been fulfilled. In Deuteronomy uh, 21. Uh, verse 1 to 4 uh, this is when a, a woman is given a sorry, f- yeah verse 1 to 4 woman is given a certificate of divorce and this is to prevent them from exploitation uh, to not be sold into slavery um, and Jesus has this discussion with the Pharisees and the Gospels the last significant example, there are other ones we spoke of Hosea this morning but Malachi is one of the other significant ones, the last exa- example of, of divorce in the Old Testament where uh, where uh, Israelite men are marrying and then divorcing non-Israelite women without reason. And that may be called what you could call a treacherous divorce, as they divorce them without care and without their thought of any kind of well-being. And that's, in a sense, why the Lord is totally against them, because of the way that they're living and the way that they're worshipping. Then we get arrived to Christ. Uh, there's a few texts there. There's Matthew 5, Matthew 19, and also uh, Mark 10. Uh, the context of these discussions is of men trying to justify divorce for any reason. Uh, but Jesus says both divorce and remarriage are unacceptable, except 
for sexual immorality or adultery. And the big question is, is this done in every situation or is this just a particular emphasis in this specific situation? And we'll come back to that. Moving to the church, uh, there's probably two texts in this, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and Romans 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and Matthew 19 are probably two of the key texts which we'll we'll hone in on in a moment. Um, And Romans 7, uh, Paul's big idea there is that death ultimately ends a marriage covenant. And then the last uh, two pieces in speaking of new creation... According to uh, Luke 20, there is no marriage in heaven. And so if your marriage is going really well or it's going really badly, it's not forever. It's just for this life. But we will be joined to Jesus as his bride in heaven forever. And therefore, in light of that day, then we're called to live as God's people in marriage in Ephesians 5, as we've, we've heard preached on. That's how we're to live as God's people. And so that's a a quick overview of some of the verses to consider. There are other ones, but those are some of the main ones. Um, But as we think about it, we have to think, well, how do we respond? Uh, How do we respond biblically? How do we respond to someone uh, thinking of pursuing a divorce? As I say, there really are two key texts. One is uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and Matthew 19. There are a few others, but these are probably the most helpful, I think. <clears throat> so in, in, firstly, in 1 Corinthians 7, we'll uh, pull pieces from parts of that chapter, but looking at these verses, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8 to 11, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Firstly, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says that there is nothing wrong with being single. As he goes on to say later in the chapter, in verse 32 to 35, It says, if you're not married, then you can serve the Lord far more. Because if you're not married, then you have no responsibility to a spouse. You're not serving both your spouse and the Lord. And so, biblically speaking, to be single is a real blessing. To be single, you can serve the Lord with your whole heart because you have time. But he says, if you're burning with passion, then it'd be better to get married. As he says, I give this command. He gives a command as the apostle, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, speaking with the authority of God. And so it's not just some helpful advice, but because Jesus has spoken about some things in the gospel, Paul speaks about other things. And that's why he says, I say this and not the Lord. Because the context of of Corinth really reflects much of our world at the moment, where we are. There's sexual immorality everywhere. People just sleep with who they want and do it without shame. And so Paul, speaking into this context, he's speaking to Christians to say to them in in verse 10, a wife must not separate from her husband. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, but if she does, she must remain unmarried 
or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. The question which people were really asking in Corinth was, is it more spiritual to be single? Is there some kind of unspiritual thing about being married? But Paul says, if you want to get married, do it. Get married. But if you are married, stay married. Then we have one of the other key texts, um, Matthew 19, where it says, says this. Some Pharisees came to him, that is Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, we will get to the exception clause in a moment. But here, here the Lord is setting the foundation for what marriage is by quoting the creation account, the creation design in Genesis 2. To be married is to be united as one man and one woman as one flesh. And that is exclusively between one man and one woman for life. And who has joined it together? See there, the very last verse there. God has joined it together. God joins the man and the woman together in marriage. And therefore the call is not to break the covenant that God himself has created. Because as Jesus and the Apostle Paul both say, as as they say there in verse 11, she must, um, uh, let me see there, a wife must not separate from her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. And so really, if a believer comes to you and says, you know, it's just not really working, I'm just not happy. The question you should ask is, well, what did you say on your wedding day? In sickness and in health? Yes. And did you say until death do you part? So are you dead yet? No. And so remember your promises. Remember your covenant. Remember the covenant that God made between you and your wife or you and your husband. And live by them. Don't just live by them, die by them. Because the most difficult thing really is perhaps not the, the intellect, but it's our fickle feelings. It's our emotions that change from morning to night. That we have one feeling one day and one feeling the other. Because even though we may be discontent, maybe for a season of life, that season will pass. It will pass. It may, might even be months or years, but it will pass as we seek the Lord daily for ourselves and for our spouses. Because as we heard from Ephesians 6, just the other other week there, we are in a spiritual battle. And Ephesians 6 comes immediately after Ephesians 5, when it speaks about family, speaks about marriage. That battle commences in the family. It commences in the marriage. And Thomas Watson has a brilliant line when he says this, 
He says, Satan loves to fish in the troubled waters of a discontented heart. Satan loves to fish in the troubled waters of a discontented heart. When we get restless, when we get unhappy, when we're discontent in our marriages, we just secretly think to ourselves, I don't deserve this. I deserve far more than this. I deserve to be happy. And so we might begin to look at other people's marriages and we might start to believe that lie that really the grass is greener on the other side. And I was thinking about this just the other day because as I looked at my neighbor's lawn, it actually was greener than mine. Um, But do you know the reason that it was greener? It's greener because he feeds it. I wonder as we think of our own marriages and maybe as we seek to counsel other people in their marriages, are they feeding their marriages? Because if each spouse invests in their marriage, then it will inevitably grow. It will inevitably become healthier. And so the first piece of advice when it comes to people thinking of divorce is don't think about divorce. Don't rush into it, but instead feed and invest in your marriage, invest in one another, pour into one another and pray for one another. Remember your promises. Remember what you said. Remember that God binds you together. And yet, and yet, because of the fall and because of the sin in our hearts, because of indwelling sin, in our hearts. Sadly, marriages will break. It will break down. And so, here's some, some things to think about as we think about some exception clauses. <clears throat> the first and obvious exception clause is in the case of death. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, again, 1 Corinthians 7, key text, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. And so if a husband or a wife dies, and they are no, they are no longer bound to one another, that person and the covenant is dead, and they can marry who they wish. But as Paul says, they must marry someone in the Lord. As whether we're a widow or whether we're not a widow, the, the call is to marry someone in the Lord. We want to marry someone that loves Jesus, that will help us to grow in Jesus. And we really can't compromise on that. Christians marry Christians. If you want to lead a happy life for Jesus, then marry someone that loves Jesus. And don't take shortcuts because it will just lead to pain further down the road and it dishonors the Lord. So there's the exception clause of death. Then there's the exception clause of adultery. As the Pharisees asked Jesus in Matthew 19 and in other parts of other gospels, Matthew 19 verse 7, why then they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except 
for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The certificate of divorce referenced in the Old Testament was to protect women. It was to protect them from being abused by many in the day. As it was seen for a quick fix for unhappy husbands, women could burn the dinner of, of their husband and the husband would seek to, to divorce them, to send them away. But Jesus says that was a, an abuse of that. He says it was only <clears throat> that that was because of their hardness of hearts that they did that. Jesus says that it's only in the case of sexual immorality or adultery that divorce and therefore remarriage is permissible. Uh, the third exception clause is in the case of abandonment or desertion, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7:15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. A man or a woman who deserts their spouse walks out on them and walks out on their covenantal commitment as well. And therefore, and I know some people would disagree with this position, if someone abandoned their spouse, then we could treat them as an unbeliever. Perhaps we can discuss that further in the Q&A. But there's also another exception. There's, there's death, there's adultery, Abandonment, but what about abuse? What about abuse? It's very difficult to think about. There's not a specific text that you could pull out and say there it is. And this is where the law in England and Wales and other parts has changed over many years to prevent people from abuse and from death due to domestic violence. One marriage which made many headlines a few years ago was the case of O.J. Simpson and Nicole Simpson. With many phone calls to the police, there was a, a failure to protect Nicole, and she was eventually killed in what is most certainly domestic abuse or domestic violence. And the other recent case was one in the U.S. with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And from a recent uh, case that took place, uh, Johnny Depp won damages against his former wife, and it was revealed that he suffered domestic abuse, both physically, verbally, and emotionally from misheard towards him. He was the victim of domestic abuse. However, that's the world and all its uh, happenings. But as believers, as we think about marriage, we should hold marriage to a far higher standard. And that standard is really what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It means that as believers, and especially as husbands, we're to lead in our marriages by displaying sacrificial love as Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And therefore, if a spouse abuses you, then it is the very opposite of what Christ does for his bride. He doesn't abuse his bride. He loves his bride. And so in that way, it displays a persistent and unrepentant covenantal unfaithfulness, a breaking of the covenant. And if they're breaking the covenant, then they are living consistently. If they're living consistently like, like that, they're living like an unbeliever. And so therefore, 
uh, we could argue, you could say then, 1 Corinthians 7.15 applies. And therefore you are no longer bound in such circumstances. As Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 33, however, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In light of Christ giving his life for us, we should give our lives for our spouse in love. That is what the call is. And to not do so, to not live like this, is to deny the gospel in our lives and in our marriages. It's to deny what God has done for us. So maybe if we find ourselves in this mess or we we want to counsel people uh, through it, there's some things that we might be able to to work through. How do we work things through with people? Firstly, pray. Pray that God would change their heart. Pray that God would change your heart, that he would have mercy on you both in the process. Secondly, seek godly counsel. Almost every single marriage, every, every person I seem to speak to says there's a season of life that is very, very hard. And so it's good to be able to rely on people who have already been through that very hard season of their marriage. Time. Patiently work things through with time. Things probably won't change overnight, but we pray that they will change in time. And lastly, love. Seek to love everyone involved, that they would experience the love and grace of God in a richer way. If there's been unfaithfulness in the marriage or anything that has caused a fracture, a distance in the couple, then the response is really threefold. This is what we're looking for when we're speaking to people, when we're counseling them. Repentance. That you haven't just let yourself down but you've sinned against the Lord. Think of uh, uh, the psalmist David when he sinned against Bathsheba. Against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Well, he, he committed adultery, but ultimately his sin was against the Lord. That is what it means to repent, to turn from sinning against God. That is our ultimate call, to turn from our sin. Secondly, forgiveness. As we receive the forgiveness of God in Christ, we can extend the forgiveness of God to others. And lastly, reconciliation. This is really the the final part of the process. We pray that reconciliation can take place. Sadly, sometimes it doesn't take place. It's not possible. And yet we pray that the Lord would change people's hearts, that they would respond in repentance, that you would extend forgiveness to them and be reconciled to them. As Paul Tripp says, when it comes to marriage, we need to fix our relationship vertically before we fix it horizontally. You need to get your relationship with the Lord right before you do that with other people. The call really is to repent, to forgive, and to be reconciled. But the question will come up, no doubt, as you work things through with people, maybe as you work things through in your own heart. Why should I forgive? Why should I forgive if I'm the one that was wronged? And I did no wrong. Well, the Lord says in many passages, but in Colossians 3, 13, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You can forgive the unforgivable because God has forgiven you amazingly. 
the unforgivable too. All your sins have been paid for. All your sins have been paid for on the cross. So how can, how can we withhold forgiveness to others? The temptation might be to play the situation over and over in your mind. But as the psalmist says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? If the Lord was really to keep a, a file on all of our failures, how could we possibly stand? If he kept a, a record of our sins, how could we cope? But the psalmist doesn't stop there, does he? No, he says, but with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. Because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us, we are forgiven. And so what do forgiven people do? Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. As the gospel call to each one of us every day is to receive the forgiveness of God and to extend the forgiveness of God to others. They don't deserve it, neither do we. That is the free gift of grace as we freely receive it and freely give it. Let me pray before we come on to our case studies together. Father God, we thank you for your amazing grace to us. Lord, we are mindful that we don't match up in any way, but you freely extend your forgiveness to us daily in the Lord Jesus, that you pursue us in Christ. So Lord, help us to receive that, that forgiveness, that grace of God, that we might be able to extend that to everyone in our lives. We pray for wisdom on how to work through, the, through these things. We pray for gentleness, for humility, and how we might be able to do uh, a work of, of reconciliation. We might be able to engage in people's lives and help them. Uh, we pray for your help and your guidance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Case studies. Um, so you've got uh, uh, some studies there. I think what would be helpful, maybe if I give you till five, uh, five minutes. Uh, let's do two, two groups on each uh, case study, and then we'll, we'll uh, refer back. So maybe each group will go in depth, have a discussion about it, and then we'll, we'll ping it back um, at uh, just before 7 o'clock. Okay. Okay, you've got five minutes. So uh, looking at these case studies, um, we'll go uh, two groups that did one, and <laughs> we could run forever here, but um, try and keep it tight. Um, so uh, looking at case study one, I'll read it, and then these two groups, just give me your feedback. There's a mic there. Um, so case study one, David commits adultery and his wife Julie on a business trip abroad. They're both committed Christians. David can't live with the guilt and confesses everything to the Lord and to his wife. He's contrite and asks for forgiveness. He says it will never happen again and will endeavor to make things right. How would you counsel both David and Julie? had the suggestion that he might want to change the job he's in and while that could mean giving quite a lot up in, in his mind if he's 
in this job where he's being subject to these temptations because he's going out maybe to places he shouldn't be going, maybe to clubs that he shouldn't be kind of giving into because of possibly a secular work environment. Um, he might need to consider taking that out because then that temptation would be taken yep. away for him. Um, and we said that she does, if we look at the case of adultery, she does have the biblical right to divorce him for mm-hmm. this, but uh, they should both take some time to mm-hmm. kind of consider what's happened. Mm-hmm. And if he is contrite, he mm-hmm. has repented. Mm-hmm. While she may very strongly feel she can't trust him, she she's angry. Mm-hmm. I imagine that if they went to the church about this, they would probably say, you need to spend some time praying about this and mm-hmm. thinking about this before making the immediate mm-hmm. decision to divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... We've said uh, mm. if he does want to endeavor to make things right and he does want to try and submit to God, then, you know, we have to pray for him in that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, it's quite a difficult situation and mm. it's understandable that she'd feel very hurt. Mm. But there is definitely a sense of if this has only happened once mm. and they can change the circumstances mm. to make it less likely to ever mm. happen again, mm. they could work through that. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. Guys, anything from your group? You did one as well, just briefly. Yes, I think we would encourage every effort to be made on both parties to uh, work through the challenges that this has created to Mm -hmm. actually ensure that the marriage is moving forward on on good good grounds. Great. Thank you. Case study one, is this for case study one or case study two? Uh, one to begin with. One to begin with. And then <laughs> it's two, flowing nicely. <laughs> just, just a quick question. Yes. Do, what do you think adultery means in this context? Do you think it means mm. a single act of adultery or is it consistent, unrepentant adultery? Well, that, this is the, this is the question, isn't it? You know, yeah. and this is why I've slightly worded it, uh, this way. You know, he's contrite, so contrition that he truly is repentant to the Lord, not that he's let himself down, but that he's sinned against God. That's significant. And therefore, that he is truly broken by his sin. Not that he's like, oh, well, it just I've let you down, I've let me down. No. No, you haven't. You've sinned against the Lord. And you will have to give an account on Judgment Day. So it's the weight of it. If there's consistent unrepentant adultery, then yeah, I think that's a different conversation. But Yes. Uh, just back on that, Colin. If it's a one-off like yes. this, as it seems to be, does that mean it's not biblical grounds for? Well, it, I think we're talking. It's really the the bigger picture, isn't it? Um, if, if it's if it's a one-off, no, not to say that there's. I think Aaron phrased it perfectly. Honestly, it is. Uh, it is. There's a ground for it, and yet, and yet, we have. You're calling people to respond to the grace of God, as He seems to be. Um, and that takes time to understand and work through. Uh, and I think you would call people to, as he is, be contrite, ask forgiveness. What, what can I do to make it right? Do I need to move job? Do I need to change job? Do I need to move where I live? You know, what do I need to do? Make it right. So. I, was, I was thinking more from Judy's point of view. She comes and says, I want to divorce. Hmm. It's a pastoral conversation, that to just try and work through things yeah. graciously. Yeah. I was just saying, I don't know that you actually answered John's question. What is, what is the For meaning of the biblical word adultery in that context? 
Not uh, what does the case study say, but what does the Bible say about what is the word meaning yeah, in that? Pornia. Is that right, Jen? Pornia. Sexual immorality, which can be translated as adultery, or could be un- understood as adultery. There's other understandings, but that's how I, how I would define it. Um, yeah. So number two, briefly, uh, they come to you for counsel. What would you say? We would say, no, don't. <laughs> in, in short, <laughs> yep. um, you need to look at your priorities here that yep. probably uh, work and a big house has become more important to you than mm-hmm. marriage. And ask yourself a question, why did you get married? If you loved each other, what what is more important to go back to that or the material things? And also yeah. to think about the effect on the children that uh, very often people think, well, it's better to divorce for the sake of the children, but usually that it's not. It's not, yeah. yeah. Is that, Thanks, John. Jackie, is that agree? Yes. Anyone else? Liz? We've got nothing to add for two, but just going back to number one. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Briefly, very briefly, I'm just thinking of Julie in that situation. If she was willing to work at the marriage, that Mm. that would be a long process, that there's a real sense of betrayal, of, um, you know, is all that's happened in the past a lie? So there'd be a lot of support that would be needed for her and working through that as a couple, um, through that to work through it. Definitely, definitely. And that's that's where the church comes in, you know, to, to the body of Christ, the family of God. Yeah. Uh, number three. We, we talked about other things really as well, but um, <laughs> uh, if John's just going to come back, we felt that he had to be repentant before God. Yeah. As he couldn't, he couldn't just say sorry to his wife. He needed mm. to say sorry to God. Yeah. Yes. That that. Uh, Obviously, they needed a lot. It, it was things that, to work through, the prayer, mm. yep. the godly counsel. Yep. Um, we felt that, I mean, I, if I was talking to them, I'd, I'd say that he needed to woo her again and mm-hmm. to court her and mm-hmm. to, that they, they needed to fall in love again if, mm-hmm. if that's what they were going mm-hmm. to do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think the repentance mm. is, is the most important thing yep. here. And, and repentance isn't just the one act, I'm sorry, but it's... No. Probably years to when to um, to show that you are repentant, that you're living a life of repentance. Mm-hmm. As Jesus says, you know, keep fruits in keeping with repentance. So that it's, it's that long-term thing. And then, as you say, Val, wooing his wife. Yeah. Um, number. You anything to add? Um, no, in the interest of time. Good. Uh, number four. Number four. <laughs> number four is quite quick. <laughs> I think probably four was a bit of a hot potato. <laughs> okay. Um, and and, and prob- I might just hand across to Martin afterwards as well because they, they sort of discussed separately. So, okay. Um, I think a lot of things came in um, that actually, biblically, it's fairly similar ground to what was going on in the Corinthian churches. Yep. Um, and Steve very um, helpfully pointed out his background growing up in Africa about things where people were situations which weren't easy to extract yourself from as a Christian, like where there was um, polygamous marriages, that type of thing. Um, And there's some sort of helpful biblical teaching around that, which is quite good. Mm. Um, The fact that actually people are becoming Christians um, and that both partners, both parties in the relationship need 
to come to Christ. Sure. So thinking about the sensitivity about how you deal with this, that you just don't needlessly yep. alienate people. Yep. But um, the whole biblical thing about the fact that marriage is between a husband and wife, yep. um, that you might want to, is that how you walk with this path with Kate as she gets convicted by the Holy Spirit about mm. where she's in a relationship with God mm. um, and the sensitivity there. And I think probably listening to Andy Robinson talk on the subject mm. um, and about, you know, his advice on that mm. and this need to really sensitively walk with yeah. people as, as they extricate themselves yeah. from quite difficult situations. Very much compassion, sensitivity uh, on these difficult things but but taking biblical line but really yeah. but but yeah the, it's not a, com- a quick fix compassion you know uh, love and truth you know um yeah. truth is biblically it's not actually a marriage but um, but but graciously and compassionately trying to engage with people and walk through life with them yeah. Yeah. i think if i may i think it's i mean this is a, these are all very difficult questions aren't they and i'm i'm sure we're all super aware of you know, how quickly we're running over this stuff but um yeah. Yeah, th- this is one that's going to bite, if it's not biting already, yeah. in, the, in the wider church. And I think we can't assume, I mean, obviously you wrote the question, but we can't assume that Kate necessarily by conviction would feel that her marriage is wrong. And, and yeah, she, and of, she may not. She may not. And, so I think, yeah. you know, we've got some pretty complicated yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. But um, And therefore I don't think we should culturally assume within mm. the church that the automatic assumption is that therefore she believes her marriage is annulled or otherwise. Yeah. I, I, you know, we're, we're in very difficult territory, aren't we? But anyway. Okay. Yeah, no, I haven't got anything okay. more to think about. <laughs> I'm sorry, Martin had. All oh, right. <laughs> I'll okay. say it for him. He said, why not think in terms of Fiona being Fred? Think of it well, in terms Fiona's not afraid. Of, 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 I yeah. know, but yeah. what the advice that you give, if you're accepting that they are a married couple... I'm not. Well, if you're not accepting it, you, you can't give any advice. Well, well, one is, it's like, what does repentance look like, is the question. What, is, what does it mean to repent? And, and so that's kind of work, working it through. Well, you're saying, in effect, that Kate can, cannot become a Christian. No, I'm not saying that. Well, it's the practical effect of it. No, I'm not. No. Kate wants to live for Jesus and ask you what's your advice. I, I think we were struggling to get our heads around this, and so okay. my, our starting point was definitely what would we say to a couple Did, if it was yeah. a, a uh, if it was a not a, not a same-sex couple. Yeah, yeah. And we wouldn't be saying to uh, Kate at that point to leave that relationship. Yeah. So I think what. The reason I had no more to say was I think what Nigel and, and Alistair just expressed. Yeah. How does Kate bring God's grace yeah. into that relationship? And how do we support her in that process? Yeah. Because the positive thing there is that there is a committed relationship. Whether, whether committed, we, but they are living in sin. But, but let's, you know, I think that's where we have to be very careful, don't we, about that? Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's truth and grace. You know, she, she asked you, how do you... How do you live it for the Lord? And, and I would say, how do you live for the Lord? Yeah. Um, you live for Jesus and um, whatever that means. And whatever that means for me as a church leader, whatever that means for them as an individual, um, graciously, compassionately um, calling them to live for the Lord. And that's painful for them and for me, but I don't care. Um, because it's for the Lord. It's, it's, they want to li- they're asking you, how do I live for Jesus in this? 
This isn't light stuff. This is heavy stuff. This is eternal stuff. So, so it's, it's, it's in that sense, I would say, that, that the counsel I know whether I would give them is to graciously, lovingly walk through things to, to live for Jesus. Um, so it's your definition of marriage as well. I, I think we're aligned on that. Yeah, I think yeah, we're yeah. aligned on that. But That's I think that, but Number, can I quickly move on? Number five, we're running over a bit. Um, Jan and Fred. So <laughs> we had Jan and Fred. We decided the first thing that we would do was to find out how much danger Jan was in immediately. Yep. She's confided that she's been hit across the face, but mm. there's different levels of that. So we initially um, find out how much yep. imminent danger she was. Yep. There doesn't mention children, but that might be a factor. Mm as well um he's promised never to do it again but he has he's obviously not repentant yep um yeah you said that you would go and speak to him um man to man but as women we wouldn't go and Mm. speak to fred but we would because they're serving in their local church we sort of assumed that it was the same church we were going to we would go to a pastor with that because he's serving in the church as well yeah and we'd hand it over to the pastors (laughs) yeah great no 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 but we also we also said that as a friend of jan we would um pray yeah yeah pray with her and pray for wisdom and pray for wisdom for ourselves that we would say the right thing that we'd just be given the right words because I know. The other thing is, the other thing is, if it's a recent episode, so it's not historic, like ten years ago. If it's a recent episode, there might safeguarding might be a call to call the police Mm. and encourage them. Yeah, that's right. It didn't say if there were children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we weren't sure, but you'd have to ascertain all of that. There's there's certain things where it becomes legal, um, and we have responsibility there too. Not too many Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, because in this we see Fred as the. Yeah. Would you say he couldn't serve now? I think they would. You would probably sorry. be having conversations, wouldn't you, to yeah. uh, to say, maybe, maybe withdraw. Withdraw for now. Yeah. 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 Uh, number six. Nice and easy stuff. Number six. Uh, uh, faith. Living by faith. Faith is harsh. Would they both come together for advice? Because mm. it's probably unlikely that Faith would. Right. And Ron would probably come for help and support from the church family. Yep. Um, and if we did, I mean, if he did, it, he needs to be um, supported mm. and prayed with uh, Assured of Christ's love, mm. so that he his identity is in Christ, yeah. not in that relationship where he yeah. feels terribly abused. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, has he forgiven her? And that is the tough one, isn't mm. it? How do you say that? And you, well, obviously, yeah. The, the challenge is if it's ongoing as well. Yeah. It's, 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 this is abuse. Yes. Um, this is emotional. Uh, verbal, spiritual abuse. Um, uh-huh. um, so you, you you could be looking to uh, you could be looking to have that conversation to grasp that nettle with faith. Mm-hmm. Say you need to repent, faith. Yeah. You know, 
Um, yes. This is not how you treat your husband. You don't. You must respect your husband. Ephesians five. Yeah. Yeah. You're not respecting him. No, exactly. So, if re- what does repentance look like? It looks like respecting your husband. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she may. They both confess to be believers. Yep. Um, how much of a believer is a person who does that? Yeah, I know. And yeah, but it's you. You are. I suppose you're, that's the final, that's the last step, I suppose, but it's, it's, it's calling them to repentance. Yeah. And then you're thinking of Matthew 18, church discipline, that, uh, you know, uh, one person goes to speak to her, um, many people go and speak to them, the elders go and speak to them, uh, to her, to encourage her to, 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 to respect her husband. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, again, over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, can we pray? Uh, sorry, I missed you out. Um, well, <clears throat> it doesn't say that they've come for advice. That's true. So we were concerned as to how you would actually approach to say that you were concerned about their marriage. That's true. And so that would, uh, as women, we would have to speak to the wife. Yep. And... Um, uh, Pray about it yeah. beforehand yeah, yeah. and uh, ask for wisdom mm. to be able to ask the right questions, but to say to her that we were concerned for their marriage. Mm. And we thought that speaking to the pastors, as we've said before, <laughs> would be a very, a very good idea because yeah. we feel really sorry for the husband. Yeah. Really yeah. sorry. And she obviously has a critical spirit. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. Uh, can we can we pray? Uh, do we have time to pray for five minutes? Just thinking of thinking of marriages, thinking of uh, how we might engage with people, how we might um, support people, encourage people in the Lord, um, uh, that we would be able to feed our own marriages as we think of investing um, in one another, invest, investing in our marriages, investing in other people's, that we'd be able to encourage them in the Lord as well. Um, maybe people in your heart, if you're happy to share that with the, with your groups as well. So please do, uh, let's pray, maybe for, for five minutes or so. Just to close our time together, we're going to uh, sing together. Um, sing the song, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Speaks about God's amazing love, his amazing grace to us, so that we can extend that to other people. Let me close with the words from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.